So we're going from Colossians 4, chapter 2, through to the rest of the book, really. Alright, it says... Oh wait, I'll give you some time to open it, actually. I'm hearing a lot of page flicking. Executive decision, I think that's enough time. Alright, it says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim, proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they, may, they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Herapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, See to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chance. Grace be with you. Excellent. Thank you for that, Seth. Um, keep your Bibles open there, Colossians 4. Uh, well done. We got through a whole book of the Bible. So we read it all, uh, which is very good. Very good. Um, Colossians 4, interesting Interesting chapter. It's one of those chapters I reckon that um, very often we just kind of will skip over because it feels like it feels like the list of credits at the end of the movie where all the names just roll up, and we, that's normally the bit where we turn off. Or maybe we do hang around for that after scene. Uh, I don't know, but uh, anyway, we'll get into that. Uh, look, the, in this session, really, I just want to do a bit of reflecting on where we've been so far. Um, the, this talk is is going to be more just of a devotion style. It's going to be much shorter. I'm really keen uh, to hear from you about uh, what you've got out of Colossians. Uh, you know, we've been thinking about this idea, Christ, your life, uh, the fact that uh, in him we have died, we've been buried, we've been raised to new life and, and the implications that has for us. I'm really keen to hear from you uh, about, you know, what you're going to take away from this weekend. I will make a few comments on this uh, final chapter. There's also a few questions uh, to to answer as well. So this will be a bit of a mixed up session, maybe a bit more interactive, a little bit more devotional style. Um, uh, let's start by thinking about where we've come so far in Colossians. Um, we started off yesterday morning by thinking about the will of God, yeah, and especially Paul's role as an apostle uh, by the will of God. Uh, so we started there. We then started to think about the work of the gospel, and we looked in, uh, we saw there in verse 6 of chapter 1 how 
uh, the work of the gospel has been bearing fruit in all the world, and that fruit was faith, hope and love. Uh, as people uh, learned and heard the message of hope, uh, they were being uh, transformed. Uh, we looked yesterday as well at the majesty of Christ, the image of the invisible God, uh, God being pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Uh, we thought briefly about the role of the apostle to make known this glorious mystery, Christ in you, uh, and, and his goal to present everyone from all nations fully mature in Christ. What else have we seen? We've seen the fullness of Christ, for in Christ all the fullness of the daily lives in bodily form. And, uh, and we've considered the emptiness of the world and the fact that, you know, trying to build yourself on fairy false faith is, is no good. Um, and then this morning we sort of turn to the life of the Christian and, and what does it look like uh, to have a, a mind that is set on things above where Christ is. So that's kind of a really quick summary of some of the things that we've looked at. Colossians is a it feels like a Christmas cake of a book. It's just so dense, so much, so much stuff in it. Um, plenty to feed on, uh, but it's awesome. And I hope, you've, I hope you've been encouraged by it. Um, Colossians 4, uh, it, it brings us to the, the end of this letter. And really there's just two things that I wanted us to reflect on uh, in uh, this last chapter. And that is prayer and partnership. Prayer and partnership. Um, the, you can see there, let's, let's think about prayer first of all. You see there in verse 2 that Paul uh, says, uh, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. This seems to be one of the, the key characteristics of someone who has their mind set on things above. And so uh, and I want to say, I'm, I was very thankful for Heather's testimony yesterday and for her courage to admit to everyone that she struggles uh, with prayer. Um, but I'm going to take a guess here that Heather's not alone. There you go. So it's, it's something we all, we all struggle with. Is I don't know of any Christian who is satisfied with their prayer life. Uh, and it really does seem to me that there's very few topics uh, that are able to induce more guilt in a Christian than the, the topic of prayer when it, when it comes up. Um, and, and frankly, I think it, it makes sense, doesn't it, uh, that no one should be really satisfied with their prayer life because it seems as though there are endless things to pray for and some things seem as though they need endless prayer. And, uh, and I reckon we could pray all day, every day, and it still wouldn't be enough uh, to justify all the needs uh, in the world. Now, thankfully, that is not what God demands of us. In prayer, and actually, Jesus Himself, uh, he he encourages brevity in prayer, doesn't he? If you remember Matthew chapter six, verse seven, uh, he's talking on the, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and he's talking about prayer, and he actually says there, "When you pray, don't babble on like the idolaters, since they imagine that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them." He says he encourages brevity in prayer, brief, short, sharp prayers, and then he goes on to teach us the Lord's Prayer. Uh, which is a wonderful example of a very rich, theologically rich prayer, but short and sharp. And so, um, so he, he certainly he uh, uh, encourages brevity, uh, briefness in prayer. But the flip side of that, Jesus himself also demonstrates uh, the importance of regular prayer, doesn't he? And as you read through the Gospels, I think it's a really helpful activity 
just to read, especially Mark's gospel, I think, uh, you see there's really key points where Jesus himself prays and he goes away to pray. And it seems to me that, um, that we're, we're told uh, very regularly what the times when Jesus is praying are actually the times uh, when uh, he, he, he faces temptation and trial and when weakness is actually very much on, on display. And, uh, and there's something quite extraordinary about that, isn't there? When we consider who it is we're talking about here, Jesus, the one who commands all of history, uh, that in those moments of darkness, weakness, trial, temptation, what does he do? He, he rests in his heavenly father. He goes to prayer. And so, um, so helpful for us to remember, brevity in prayer is good, but regularity in prayer is modelled by our Lord. And so that's, uh, that's uh, one of the things to, to bear in mind. But you can see here, in, in, and so this, this notion of prayer uh, is something that Paul uh, really wants uh, faithful Christians to be um, uh, not just doing, but what's the word there? It's devoting. Uh, he, he's actually appealing to, to them to devote something. This is, this is not just a command, you know, just do it. He's actually appealing for them to realise how precious this gift of prayer really is. And he's, and he's urging them to treasure it. Uh, it's, it's amazing. It's a wonderful opportunity we have to be in direct communication with our Heavenly Father. And it's, of course, only possible because of what Jesus has done by dying on the cross and, and, and all of that. So it is, it's, it's, very, it's very precious. And we should be treasuring. We should be devoting ourselves to it and doing what we can uh, to devote ourselves to it uh, all the time. And I reckon there's, uh, there's a couple of reasons why uh, this is. You can see there straight away, uh, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful in it. And I reckon this is appealing to that notion that, you know what, we are weak. Uh, we are absolutely dependent on God. This notion of watchfulness is a key spiritual discipline for the Christian. We always have to be keeping our eyes open. And I reckon this uh, takes us back to the, the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that scene in the Garden of Gethsemane? It's an intense scene where Jesus comes in and he says to his disciples, stay here while I go over there to pray. And then he takes his, his three alpha disciples if I can put it that way these three guys that are kind of they seem to be the, the bodyguards if you like and he says come with me and keep watch while I pray now keep watch with me these are the watchmen they're guardians um, this is coming on the back of Peter saying you know I will die with you Christ I will die with you I'm gonna I'm awesome I'm wonderful and he's talking a big game Peter but in the Garden of Gethsemane Jesus is anguishing over what's about to happen to him. This is a time of great trial. He's praying to his heavenly father. He comes back and what does he find his alpha bodyguards doing? Sleeping. Sleeping. Is there any sign of greater human weakness than, <laughs> than that? And Jesus says to them, you can't even stay awake for an hour. You know, your spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so I think one of the ways that we can really that can really help our devotion to prayer is to just be continually remembering that we are weak in our nature, uh, that we need God's help, and that God is there to provide that help. And so I think this is really a helpful way to devote ourselves. And when we do that, this is a way that we guard ourselves. It's a, it's a way we guard ourselves together in the faith. So that's one thing, uh, devoting yourselves to prayer. You can see also that uh, the importance of prayer there is... Uh, the, the, 
we praying for doors to be open to the message of the gospel? What a wonderful thing we've just done now. That wasn't really, well, it was probably planned. Um, but that, that made, we just prayed for open doors, right? And here it is, Colossians 4, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And so a really great thing to do in our prayers and part of our devotion to Christ is praying that he will be known, praying for the proclamation of the gospel. And so what we did just now was an excellent example of that. And it's another way that we can just continue to furnish our Christian lives in, in prayer, thinking about uh, the proclamation of the gospel. The final thing uh, to, to say from uh, this little section is just the importance of uh, in our prayers, to be thinking of the way we are presenting Christ to the outsider. Uh, so part of our devotion in prayer is going to be a real concern for how people see Jesus at work in our lives. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We need to be wise in the way that we're interacting with the outsiders. Um, with people who don't yet know Jesus. Uh, we've got to take every opportunity uh, to help them know his lordship. And so this, I think, is what it uh, means to be uh, part of what it means to be devoted uh, to prayer. Uh, and I really encourage you guys to think more about how you can do that um, together. Uh, I wanted to just, on, on, this, on this topic of prayer too, there's one thing that I want to encourage. How can, how can we better be better devoted to prayer. Um, one of the things I want to encourage you with is just to recognise that one of the ways to be really excellent prayers is to be informed by the Word of God. Pray in line with God's will. As we immerse ourselves in God's Word, as we let the message of Christ dwell richly among us, and as we grow, and we're actually learning what God's desires are for the world, that Christ would be known. And as we, we soak ourselves in that, it's going to inform our prayers. But, and, and so God's will can shape what we pray for. And I want to encourage you to do that. But one of the things that I really want to encourage you with too is there's a picture at the end of, at the, end of the Bible in Revelation where we get this picture of the end of time with all the saints gathered around the throne. There we are in heaven. It's a wonderful, awesome picture. Bring it on. But in this scene, there is this bowl that comes out. And what's in the bowl? The prayers of the saints. It's a weird sort of picture. But the thing to take note of there is that in the end, God's sovereign will being achieved. Somehow God is using our prayers for his eternal plan and purposes. Our prayers actually have deep significance in God's execution of his plan. They're there in the end. And I just want to encourage you with that. Sometimes when I'm thinking about my own prayer life, I think my prayers, I have a vision of my prayers, they're sort of like fireworks. I shoot them up, they're bright for a few seconds, and then they fade away with no lasting impact. Uh, and I, I don't know if you have that sort of idea of your prayers. You're shooting them up and they fade away, whatever. But that's not... That's not what our prayers are. Our prayers, God stitches them into the tapestry of his eternal plan. They're like golden threads. They're not like fireworks. And so I want you to have that view of your prayers. Um, golden threads stitched into the tapestry of God's eternal will and, and purposes. They're going to be there at the end. Um, so pray. 
devote yourself to prayer. Um, there's so much more that could be said on prayer. I'd be keen to hear uh, some of the, uh, the things that you do to help furnish your own prayer life that you have found helpful. Well, I want to uh, think now just to the, the end and to think uh, a little bit about this idea of partnership. Uh, partnership, because I, this, is the, this is the part of Colossians that we, we kind of want to just skip to the end and not think about. But I think it's wonderfully rich uh, because look at the list of names uh, that Paul lists here. People are important in the work of the gospel. Partnership with people is important in the work of the gospel. And he lists out all these different names and he makes a point of actually saying, talking about their role. So let's have a look, just briefly, a brief survey. Tychicus, uh, dear brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending you to him for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and, and that he may encourage your hearts. That's Tychicus. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who's one of you. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. He's so concerned with these interactions with Christians that they might know about what's going on in each other's lives. And he's really concerned, they understand, that they are co-workers for the kingdom of God. Verse 11. But the one that, um, the one that really stands out to me, and I, I just want to close with this as a way of encouragement. I've been... There's so much to say in these little verses, but just take a look there at verse 15. He says, Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Who knows who Nympha was? Correct. <laughs> no one knows who Nympha was. In terms of world history, she's a nobody. She's a nothing. No, she's not prominent at all. And yet, there's this church that meets in her house, probably smaller than this one, and God saw fit to include her in his word. I'm so encouraged by Nympha. I've got no idea who she is, no idea what she looked like, no idea what she said or did, but she had a church that met in her home and Paul saw her as a vital part of the work of the gospel. Now, I find this super encouraging because so often I feel as though the part that I play in partnership is pathetically weak and God couldn't possibly do anything with it. But he does. And he uses the nymphs of the world, people like you and me, in partnership together to make his son known. And so you had that wonderful mission slide up uh, just there before, thinking about open doors. When we pray for the church across the world, we are in genuine partnership with those people. When you uh, read Miriam Bradshaw's prayer letters and when you pray and when you communicate with her, you are in genuine gospel partnership with her. You, you are genuinely participating in the gospel proclamation. It is absolutely valuable golden threads and so i really want to encourage you to to not be discouraged at all by the smallness of your prayers or by the smallness of your your congregation partnership in the gospel is really precious and as small as it might look 
it is, uh, it is very valuable. So be encouraged. Uh, be encouraged. Uh, you might not, might not think that uh, your, your prayers are that important, but they really, really are. So that's, uh, that's Colossians. I know that's a bit of a whiz through uh, chapter 4. Plenty more to say, uh, but prayer and partnership, two really key things for us to end on.